give it another five years, what's the landscape going to look like? If people don't move into attacking in this way, then they just won't be compromising organizations anymore. So they will force their hand regardless of protective technologies as well. So I think it's, it's a sort of two-pronged shift that we're seeing. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, president and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Luke Jennings, VP of Research and Development at Push Security. He's the former chief researcher at Countercept and the former principal security consultant at MWR. He's been around the industry. Now, Luke is passionate about tracking the evolution of attacks. How are the bad guys morphing and changing their game in response to our new defenses and, more importantly, in response to the new technologies that we all start using in the first place? Luke, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you very much for having me. All right, so we're going to dive into this topic, and the you know the the stuff we talked about beforehand, Luke, was kind of interesting. We're talking about the SaaS cyber kill chain, uh, and I saw a talk you gave earlier. Uh, I guess it was last year, um, and, and I was really fascinated by this. It, it, it seems like push is kind of taken like it's 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 kind of a. I guess the tip of the hat to the MITRE ATT&CK framework, um, but it's highly specific to SaaS. And what we're talking about, folks, for some context here is, you know, the kinds of companies I work for these days. Um, everybody's remote. Everything's in the cloud. There is no on-prem anymore. There is no firewall. There is no perimeter. You know, you get your security questionnaires about how you lock your data center and you just laugh. Um, so that's the kind of environment that Luke's talking about securing. So I guess um, the first question for you, Luke, just kind of to set the playing field here is what is the difference between these traditional attacks on the perimeter, on the hardening, on the break-in, the firewalls, the on-prem, et cetera, and, and this new SaaS cyber kill chain? Like what's the big difference there? Yeah, okay. So I guess when we were starting this research, uh, yeah, we, we were really thinking about what happens if you're trying to attack a company that is purely SaaS native. You know, there's no sort of network infrastructure anymore. And also even assuming, you know, they've got really well hardened endpoints, and it's going to be tough to compromise them. So we were thinking, okay, we're not touching endpoints here. And so from that perspective, we were really thinking about how do you hijack cloud identities? How do you gain access to SaaS applications that are in use? And then if you do, if you gain some sort of limited access, you know, you're sort of equivalent of compromising one low privileged endpoint on a network. What happens from that point? How do you start looking at exploring the wider infrastructure there? How do you sort of laterally move in that world, for example? What does it mean when you're not, you're not talking about moving laterally between endpoints? Uh, what is that movement then? So it was really like looking at each phase as well and trying to think, how does the kill chain apply in this world? Um, and so I think, yeah, that's that's the key difference. It's it's uh, hijacking cloud identities, gaining access to SAP applications that are in use, finding connections between them and ways you can move from SAS app one to SAS app two uh, and, and backdooring as well. Like when it comes to persistence, you're not talking about making a run key on an endpoint. You're talking about, I have access to these applications now if someone changes passwords, resets accounts, or whatever the case, how do I maintain that access? What are the new techniques I can use to do that? Um, so that's, I guess, the sort of key difference. It's, it's thinking very much along those lines and, and avoiding thinking about touching endpoints or moving around network infrastructure. 
Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking about recon, access, lateral, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Lateral is a whole different paradigm in that world because it's literally hopping from one completely discrete app to another. So so this kind of begs the question of what the perimeter is. There's a new perimeter here, and I know I just did a post on LinkedIn last week about identity as the new perimeter. Uh, it seems like in this SaaS world, maybe that holds true to a certain extent. What's the, you know, what's the deal there? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's it because I think we've come from a, a place where originally, you know, the perimeter was either sort of IP address space and network perimeter, that kind of thing with open ports. Then it kind of moved to endpoints um, as being the new perimeter. Now we're talking about what are the ways that you're able to access applications in use by an organization where that data is stored. And that very much is cloud identities. That can be SSO identities that are quite strongly protected and, and are, they are the sort of gateway to lots of different apps. But then it can also be the equivalent of local accounts, but you know, accounts on different SaaS apps that aren't connected to, to SSO. Uh, and not all applications support SSO. And some of them, even if they do, they want to charge you 10 times the amount on enterprise tier to gain access to it. So like in practice, even if people are trying to you know, protect applications with, uh, with SSO, it's rare that we see a case where that is universal for everything that's in use. It might be sort of a certain percentage of more core apps. And then as you get to the peripheries, you start finding there are a lot of other more uh, things that are protected by SSO. And there's shadow SaaS apps that have been signed up for by, organiz- uh, by users without talking to IT, for example. And, and, and you start getting into that kind of area. And then you see that is the perimeter. It's like if you gain access to one of those things, that gives you some sort of limited access. And then yeah. you sort of work from there. You know, I guess uh, I'm sitting here thinking this is just a total sidebar thought is that password reuse is now the biggest sin someone can commit <laughs> in this world, right? If, you, if, if you're reusing passwords across all these SaaS apps, you just made it so easy for the bad guys. Um, but, but that kind of ties into what are we actually protecting here? Is it, is it identities? I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a big believer in what we're actually protecting. And this is just stepping back fully. Uh, ignoring the particular SaaS world or, or the on-prem world. Like, like, what are we actually protecting? People talk about assets and protecting assets. It's like, no, 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 no. What we're actually protecting is data. And, and where it matters is that intersection of identity and data. So how does that work? What's the data landscape now that it's distributed across all these SaaS apps? Like, like you know, I've got my core apps. Like, imagine I'm using GitHub or GitLab. I'm a technology shop, let's say. GitHub and GitLab, and there's all my source code. That's my crown jewels is my source code. But... Any other company, maybe it's the Word docs, maybe it's the email, maybe it's the, like, data is so dang distributed now. Um, what is it we're actually protecting in this SaaS world, in this SaaS landscape? Like, what's what's the protection focus there? Yeah, that's true. And I, I think even as an attacker, you you know, if you're working in this space, you need to, you know, if you're Red Team or something, change the way you think about this because you do need to think about what what's your goal, uh, what type of data do you want access to and where does that live? It's not just a case of thinking, oh, I'll compromise some endpoints, then I'll eventually work my way to domain admin and then implicitly I have access to anything I do want. It's much more around what do I actually want and what are the different pathways to get to it? Where you know, Where is it stored? What are the entry points to that? Um, so I think, yeah, like it, it does very much come down to types of data and capabilities that might be provided by access to different systems. Uh, it's rare to find some way of getting to something that gives you access to 
everything all at once unless you get a full SSO kind of IDP compromise of everything, which is, is quite hard. You tend to need to focus on your goals and work towards those. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking of all the applications in use traditionally. Like like if you're trying to hijack the employee PII, you're going to go for the HR app. If you're going to try to hijack the financials, there's a financial app. If you're going to hide, try to steal the the customer list, you're going to go for the you know CRM, right? Like I, I guess it's literally you're, you're having to think through and pre-select and pre-pick as the attacker. Like, oh, here's the menu. This is the data I'm going for, and then target that one thing. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, often that might have been servers, but they all worked the same way, and you would use the same mechanisms. But now you've got different applications with different identities that are used to access them. They operate in different ways, and so you need to sort of adapt and learn how to. Uh, how to access them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, okay, yeah. All right, so so one of the other things, and we, we kind of teased at this in the intro, um, this idea that new protective technologies, you know, it's the arms race paradigm. We, we come up with a cool new defense. They have to come up with an offense. We have to come up with a defense. They have to come up with an offense. So, so these new methods of attack, this SaaS-centric world, um, what drove the bad guys into creating a SaaS native attack plan? Like, like where did this hail from? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's quite interesting if you, if you take one step back further and think when this last happened. So, like, when I first got into in, in the industry, endpoint attacks were not common at the time. Um, it was much more sort of external perimeter attacks, open ports, vulnerabilities and services, web apps, that kind of thing. If you look then, things like firewalls became very hardened. We created sort of DMZs. We got good patch management out. For the external facing services like web servers, uh, there was lots of secure coding going on. They became very hardened. It became very hard to compromise an organization that way. And then endpoints just became the new weak spot. And that eventually caused a complete shift. So I think now what's happened is we've had basically over 10 years now of um, of endpoint attacks being pretty common and normal. And when they first started out, people just weren't prepared for it at all. It was an entirely new thing. And then, you know, when I was red teaming and switched to doing that kind of attack, it was just, you'd get in and then you'd never be detected. And you kind of, you'd just go around doing whatever you would like. Since then, we've had obviously the entire EDR market, which is yeah, huge. Yeah, I was about One to say the, EDR slammed yeah. that lid. Um, so, I mean, I was... I was um, heavily involved in, in building an EDR product myself. Um, that's obviously come a long way in that time. EDR is very effective now. We've seen a lot of focus also on, you know, erasing vulnerabilities from browsers and, uh, and other firewall format bugs. So it's, it's, it's becoming much harder to, to compromise endpoints, basically. Uh, we've got other technologies in place for sort of trying to make it difficult to extract credentials, things like Credential Guard and that kind of thing. So I think there's a lot of things that have just made it very difficult to compromise uh, endpoints, or at least increasingly difficult, and then making it easier for security teams to detect and respond to those when those happen at an early stage in the kill chain. Um, and so it's just becoming a harder route as time goes on. Uh, and so that's one reason. But I think the, you know, there's always a push and pull with these things. I think the other aspect is the technological shift. Um, so we're seeing the disappearance of internal network infrastructure anyway as people yeah. move to SaaS apps. Oh, oh yeah, I get, I get security questionnaires all the time about yeah. my network infrastructure, and I'm just like, what network infrastructure? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah. So I, mean, I think that's the thing. Like if it, even if the, the security improvements weren't there, there's a, there's a, a larger scale technological shift occurring in the way that businesses operate, which means eventually attackers are going to be forced to shift their attacks anyway, because, you know, there won't be internal network infrastructure to go after eventually. At the moment now, we've got a case where a lot of startups, like you're saying, have no network infrastructure. We don't at push. We're, you know, we're purely serverless, purely SaaS based, purely remote. Like we're very modern in the way we work in that sense. Um, obviously for larger organizations tend to be a bit slower moving. Uh, we've got, you know, existing organizations that still do have some of that, but even those are generally sort of hybrid SaaS. They still have a lot of SaaS services and things are generally being decommissioned. Give it another five years. What's the landscape going to look like? If people don't move into attacking in this way, then they just won't be compromising organizations anymore. So they will force their hand regardless of protective technologies as well. So I think it's, it's a sort of two pronged shift that we're seeing. Yeah. 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 And I, and I, you're right. I'm sitting here thinking of all the shops I've worked in in the last just few years, let's say all the clients and you know, whatever in the last, let's say five years, every place I've been, I don't see iron getting replaced with iron as a server starts to fade, as a, an application starts to age out when they look to replace, they go cloud. So even, yeah. even the big companies, the, the big companies that have those historical, you know, and, and of course, obviously there's still some of the big, big, big guys with like mainframes still running. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, depending on the age of the company, the maturity, the, the size of it, you'll still see some of that stuff. But, but in between, you know, these all SaaS native startups and the great big monolithic entities with mainframes still running are these companies that are slowly phasing out local data centers, slowly phasing out local servers, slowly phasing out local network. You know, obviously if you have an office building, you're going to have local network, but you can get it to where that is just basically no different than Starbucks, right? Like all the local network is there to do is to connect endpoints to the cloud, right? Um, that's interesting. That's real interesting that as we, as we progress more and more to that. And, and this is a total sidebar thought, uh, and I know this isn't part of our discussion, but it just occurred to me, as we always say identity is the perimeter because that's where the interaction with the entire SaaS world goes, we do still have really two perimeters that are never going away in terms of non-identity, and that's email, right? Always going to be a vector <laughs> in, and, and browsing the Internet where the bad thing can happen on the website, right? You interface with the outer world, through browsers and email now, and that's pretty much it beyond these SaaS apps, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, and obviously email still remains a pretty big fishing vector, for example. Um, I, I do think that we're, we're seeing more moving towards IM as well in that space too, though. Um, obviously, instant messenger applications have been pretty common for some years now, but as internal collaboration tools, um, but obviously, because they're so useful, people want to use them externally as well. And so access for that has opened up a little more with things like Slack Connect and Teams external access. I guess the difficulty is, obviously, there's not a universal kind of protocol to connect those things and different people use different vendors. And email, the one benefit it has is that any email that, you know, will talk to another email server through a common protocol. Right. Although we get into DMARC, DKIM, you know, SPF and all that. DKIM, yeah. Did I just say DKIM? DMARC, SPF. <laughs> you get it. Um, all, all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting because at the end of the day, like you said, we migrate from email seamlessly into these collaboration apps, which, oh, look, we're back into the SaaS world again, right? Like it's all Slack is SaaS, Teams is SaaS. 
um, you don't know it, but you're passing a, you know, you don't think about it. You're logging in once to Microsoft, but what you're really doing is interacting with a separate SaaS app for your chat. You're interacting with a separate SaaS app for, you know, a lot of folks like my wife's company, they, they use all their office suite online. It, it's all, you know, it's all SaaS to even use the basic desktop apps anymore. Um, those are just, you know, front ends to a SaaS back end, right? So, so yeah, this is, this is becoming more SaaS native even than I'm thinking. And identity is definitely key to all this. Um, so, all right, modern kill chain. Let's dive into it. Let's get into the actual kill chain itself. Um, you guys have put together something pretty robust here. Uh, I, found a, I found a chart on the, on the PUSH website that fascinated me. Um, and you guys are getting into, you know, it's just like MITRE. You've got reconnaissance, initial access, execution, persistence, privilege escalation, defense evasion, credential access, discovery, lateral movement, and, of course, exfil. Um, so, so walk me through some of these things here, like the reconnaissance phase. What do we, what do we have? What are we doing? Let's get into the, the nuts and bolts here. And now for a brief word from our sponsor. You've probably noticed the uptick in identity-based attacks recently hitting the headlines. If you're working like crazy trying to get everything behind SSO and trying to make sure that everyone's using strong passwords and MFA and password managers, then this one is for you. Push Security helps you to monitor and secure your entire identity attack surface, including non-SSO identities. Get notified in real time to vulnerabilities across all your internet-facing identities. What's more, Push then guides your employees to fix simple issues so your team can carry on fixing everything else. Want to check it out? Head to pushsecurity.com slash ranch. Sure. So, I mean, I think with Recon, um, you know, no longer is it a case of sort of ping sweeping IP space and finding open ports and identifying valid email addresses and, and, and that kind of thing. Now we're trying to think about what applications are actually in use by an organization uh, and what, what are their SSO providers, where are their cloud identities. So it can be pretty simple techniques. Um, you know, if someone's connected a SaaS application to their SSO provider, often you can do things like SAML enumerations. You can go to a SaaS provider. You can enter uh, an email address that's like for their domain, and then it will sort of redirect off to their SSO portal. And at that point, you can then tell, obviously, okay, well, someone's connected it to that. That presumably means that they're a user of that application. And then at the same time, we've found out where their SSO portal is and what it looks like and, and so forth. Um, so I think a lot of that is just is really identifying the attack surface in terms of all the applications they're using and where the identities live, which ones are connected to SSO and which ones aren't and that kind of thing. I think the re recon phase is focused around that. And that's where you kind of start from at that point. You get a, an idea of their attack surface as a result of their SaaS app usage and their cloud identities. Okay, and then we get into initial access, and I know we've got our, you know, some of these things are still traditional, credential stuffing, email phishing, IM phishing, um, some of this stuff is there, but there's also um, kind of for the new stuff, right? There's SAML jacking, there's poison tenants. Uh, walk me through those. Sure, yeah. So, like, SAML jacking is an interesting one where it, it effectively enables a quite sophisticated way of phishing someone where you make use of a legitimate SaaS application to do it. So you can go and set up your own SaaS application or SaaS tenant rather on a, on a legitimate SaaS application. You can configure it for SAML authentication, which effectively just means you give it a URL to redirect to during the login process. And that means you can send a legitimate domain for a known SaaS vendor uh, for a login page to a user. 
Um, and then when they click to log in, it'll redirect off to your malicious server if you set up a phishing example. So if, 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 so if they're looking at the URL to begin with and, and thinking, okay, is this definitely an okay link? And they look, it, it will be a legitimate domain for a legitimate SaaS vendor. And it's only when they, after they've clicked on it, or in some cases, depending on how it works, after they've clicked a login button on a legitimate SaaS app, that it then redirects off to your malicious server. So that's like a pretty interesting way of conducting phishing because it kind of it kind of bypasses a lot of the ways we we train users to to look out for malicious links. Um, so that's that's one aspect. I mean, and the other interesting thing. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that the sample jacking is a, is an evolution of the old cross site scripting. That's all it is. It's just you know what I mean. Like like you think you're going here, but you're actually going there. Yeah, yeah. In a way, I guess. Yeah. So you're you're making use of of legitimate apps to sort of hide your attack in some sense. Yeah. I mean, the other really interesting thing is if you manage to compromise a SaaS application in use by an organization uh, at the admin level, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a super core, highly well-protected app. It could be you know, a less important app. Um, maybe it's not even administered by IT. Maybe someone in marketing manages it. Um, but, but it's got a good active user base. You can then go and turn it into a watering hole attack because you can then go and change the SAML configuration to point to your server and then people are going to carry on using it as normal and then they just every time they go through the login process they get redirected through your your malicious server that's going to capture their credentials um so there's, there's other ways of using it too so it's it's it's, a, it's one of those interesting times when you you take what should be a good security control right saml and sso are good things and then you find a way of kind of misusing it to benefit you as an attacker so that's definitely a newer attack. And, and to the user, the experience seems perfectly normal and they don't realize what's going yeah, on. Yeah. Um, it's pretty interesting. Um, poison tenants are another good example. I think that's where you can kind of make use of um, SaaS to, to do something of interest for you as an attacker. So you can set up your own tenant on a SaaS app. You could use that for SAML jacking. So we kind of used that example there before but you could also just get people using your tenant and that might get you the data you want so if someone you know if the marketing team are looking for uh, a new solution for something and you've you've figured that out somehow you can make a new tenant and just start inviting people that generally receive emails that are legitimate from that SaaS app to, into their email and um, says such and such has invited you get them to join it's a legitimate SaaS app you've got administrative control of it and then if they start using it and putting the information in that, that you want to gain access to, then like, perfect. Okay, you're probably not going to be able to do that with like Slack or some really core app that's already in use, but, but there's plenty of other options as you sort of move out to the peripheries a little more. Oh, sure there are. I saw some statistics a while back. I don't know how honest they were, but the, the idea was like for every SaaS app you think you have, you've got as many as 10 that you don't know about. In other words, people all throughout your company just randomly signing up for stuff at a departmental level. Maybe even someone on your team helped set up full SAML integration, you know, thinking it was legitimate and authorized. And, and you know, CISO doesn't know about it, but CIO does, that kind of thing. Like 10x as many unknowns as you have knowns, right? Oh, sure. I mean, that's definitely the case. Shadow SaaS usage is a, is a big thing. And I think the larger the organization, the more unknown uh, SAS use there is that we would normally see. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and and they're going to keep doing it because they need the productivity for that thing. I always it, it's a it's a running thing on this show. You probably haven't heard us talk about this before, but I, I never call it shadow IT. Uh, I, I always call it <laughs> missed opportunity IT because at the end of the day, it's the users doing what they need to do to complete their tasks and do their job and meet their mission. And it's IT failing to keep up with, uh, with what the users need. And so there's always going to be that leading edge. There's always going to be users doing things on their own for IT that IT hasn't caught up to. It's not really shadow. It's really IT failing, <laughs> failing to keep up with the business. But it's a reality, right? Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, I think... Um, if your response as a security team when you find out about these things is, oh, we need to block people from using all SaaS, then you're not enabling your business. And, and then people will find ways to circumvent it and just sign up for things themselves. So you just need to enable, you need to find, as a classic case, find secure ways to enable the business to do what it needs to do. That's yeah, that's it. Misaligned security is security that gets bypassed, which is which is worse than than no security in some cases because you walk away with the illusion that you're secure. And you've actually got a gaping hole you don't know about because your users are deliberately circumventing the the, the draconian controls. <laughs> Definitely. All right, so we've gotten into initial access. Uh, execution and persistence, I know there's a few things there, shadow workflows and, of course, OAuth tokens, right? Um, but privilege escalation. Now, in the... SaaS world, that doesn't mean the same thing as what it's historically meant. So walk me through some privilege escalation techniques. Sure. So yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll probably consider privilege escalation and lateral movement as, as, as being related and consider a few. Uh, I mean, the first key point to think about is that it's not moving between endpoints and servers or endpoints and endpoints. Uh, it's moving between identities and it's moving between different applications. Um, so that can be, for example... Uh, through, say, OAuth connections. So OAuth allows different applications to sort of share access to different bits of data with one another. Um, so, you know, it might be that you allow a particular set of application you're, you're using to have access or have limited access to your OneDrive or Google Drive or something in order to share files between it. So that's a common thing is that if you gain access to an application and there's connections already set up like that, that's like a tunnel straight through to a different data source. Um, and that can be, you know, sometimes we'll see issues with that where, say, a user signed up once for an application, like, I don't know, Canva, for example, they wanted to design something, they just signed up quickly, maybe a bad password, it wasn't an official company thing. There's nothing in that application, but then while they were using it, they later then connect it to their actual core OneDrive, for example, then don't use it much, forget about it. They get credential stuffed. Someone comes in and finds that Canva account. The Canva account itself is uninteresting, but hang on, you can use the, the features within Canva to browse their OneDrive and, and pull files, for example, maybe. So, you know, that's one example. Um, yeah, that's SaaS crosstalk, right? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, I think one interesting thing, as, as simple it, as it is is, is, is just things like link backdooring. Imagine you gain access to a wiki. For example, it's quite common for there to be lots of links on wikis, and normally you have a lot of edit rights. If you subtly go around just backdooring lots of links, it's a trusted system. People are not thinking about being fished at that point. So you just you just go and place them there. You can either shotgun it, like use the API to go and identify every possible link you have edit rights to and subtly changing them, or you can be very careful about it. Maybe you want access to AWS and you find the wiki page for how to set up your new AWS account for a new developer that's joining 
and you know it might not be it might not be accessed for another two months but you go and subtly make the change there and then you get the aws count when the next new hire joins um it's really simple but there's a lot of trusted systems where links are shared now and it's just not where people are expecting to be fished i mean a security pro can fall for those sorts of things oh yeah once once it's in once it's in house once it's the local wiki once it's the yeah people just they don't the normal safeguards you think about on the internet, you just, who cares? You start clicking. That's crazy. That's a, Ooh, that's, that's a scary <laughs> landscape right there. Um, all right. We talked about the scraping. We talked about the API secret theft, kind of um, some of those things. Um, lateral movement, I guess it, link backdooring. We just discussed that, right? Yeah. Um, API secret theft. We've talked about that. The path. Oh, passwordless logins. Let's talk about that. Oh, uh, okay. Well, yeah. So, I mean, some applications now will support passwordless logins that it could be something as simple as just they send a one-time password effectively to your email. Um, and so it's not MFA because actually they're just using one factor, but they're avoiding you having to set up a password to configure that. But it just means that then there's, you know, if you gain access to someone's email, and that could be by, you know, compromising a core account, or it could be, that you manage to do a consent phishing attack and they grant email access to your malicious OAuth applications a few ways. But then like that is just a mechanism to move to lots of other apps. Email becomes almost like the hub of a hub and spoke model for a lot of these things. Password resets, passwordless logins. Right. Uh, I don't care if you're M365 or G Suite, your email is a SaaS app now, right? It's, it's just part and parcel. Sure, yeah. So e- like even gaining temporary access to email you know, you can use that to sort of spider out to lots of other apps that you might be able to gain access to by having that recovery mechanism. There's a few different ways you can do that. Um, Forgot my password yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I think particularly, you know, as people use more and more apps, it becomes really hard from a response perspective as well. Because if if someone's like automated this type of attack quite well, and they get temporarily into an email, and even if they've been detected quite early, you know, if someone uses 50 SaaS apps, or hundreds of apps, um, you you know you spider out to all of those really quickly. What does incident response do then? Yeah, they can change, they can reset the account, reset the password, but it's not like just taking a taking a compromised endpoint off the network, wiping it, and giving them a new fresh one. It's okay. Yeah, now, how do you wipe their entire SaaS landscape? Yeah, yeah. you got okay a hundred SaaS apps now that someone might have access to, and then all of those apps potentially have backdoor mechanisms available too. So they might have backdoored. So then you need, and then you need to go and investigate all of those, and the, the mechanisms to backdoor them are different on each one. It's, it starts becoming a very hard problem to scale from an for an incident responder. And and in the old on-prem days, you, you probably had a package pushing applications, and you knew exactly what was on their box. Now you don't. Not even if you ask them. If you go to any employee and say which SaaS apps do you use, they're going to rattle off the top three or four or five, and forget about those obscure ones they only use every now and again, like. There's no way to try, you know, to track that through the human. You can't just ask somebody which apps do you use. You, you'll never get a complete answer. Yeah, that's definitely right. I mean, I couldn't recall off the top of my head all the apps that I use, even within Push. So I'd have to sit there and think for a long time. <laughs> I, I go through my password vault and just scan the names of the applications to figure out what I have. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. Um, so that's, oh, that's crazy. All right. Well, listen, Luke, um, we're getting to the end of the show here. Are there any other final thoughts? Um, do you, you know, what do you, what do you want to tell my users? You want to talk about Xfil? Um, do you, do you want to just give some concluding thoughts? It's the floor is yours. Uh, okay. Um, 
Well, I, say, I guess I mentioned persistence there, but without sort of talking about some of the methods. So there are some kind of SaaS-related methods for that, so maybe it's worth covering some of those. Uh, as I say before, you know, normally we'd be thinking about run keys on an endpoint, and okay, there's a thousand different ways of doing that on Windows, for example. But you know, you've got one endpoint to clean up at the end of the day. Um, the interesting thing I think with SaaS applications is there's a few really simple ways of maintaining access to an account. Many applications, even as a user level, have an API and the ability to create an API key. So you've got something simple like you compromise the user account, you go create an API key then you don't need their password or MFA anymore. You just use the API to maintain access. You've also got things like uh, secondary login, login methods. So it's something I've been calling ghost logins. Sometimes you can connect social accounts. Sometimes you can add a secondary email. Um, sometimes they access the app with SSO, but if, you're, if you want to, you can still set a local password. So all of those things give you mechanisms to basically add a secondary identity that can be used to log in that you control that's separate from their own identity that they use. So they, they can carry on using it without realizing, and you've got just a second way of logging in. Even even that, that second recovery, you know, oh, I forgot my email or password, email me at my yeah. other email, like that, that kind of thing. In fact, <laughs> this very show got popped that way. Uh, about a year ago, I was I was I was on vacation in London, of course. When it hit, I was not just out of town, out of the country. Somebody got a hold of my feed address, which had MFA, but the recovery email did not have MFA, and the recovery email was with a provider that had a web front end that didn't block multiple account tries, uh, you know, multiple login attempts. And somebody just brute forced their way into my recovery email, then sent the "I've forgotten my email," sent it to my other email, and voila, my feed got hijacked. This was this was quite an episode. <laughs> I'm a CISO, wow, and I'm okay. like, oh yeah, duh. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's a, a classic example of different cloud identities providing different uh, perimeters into the same asset, I guess. Um, I hope you recovered Yeah, we, okay. we did, we did. I ended up getting my own feedback and, and all that. And, of course, now every single email I use anywhere for anything is not only MFA'd, but the recovery email is another MFA'd email, and it all goes in one great big circle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes a lot more sense. Um. Okay, so I guess, yeah, the, the final one I'm thinking on that is to say that these are simple techniques in the persistence thing. You don't need to be elite hacker to, to use them, but they're very effective when you use them on lots of other apps. But the two that I, I sort of gave before kind of still require the accounts to exist, even if you've added secondary accounts. Like if someone went and fully removed those accounts from SAS apps, you, you would lose access. But there is one other method that's probably even the simplest, um, but sharing links. Right, so you you share access to a file with someone. Uh, I mean, there's there's multiple concerns there. I mean, if you share it once, you forget about it, but then that link can be gets found in a file or an email later and enables someone access. But the point is that decouples the access from the accounts that were involved most of the time. So you can go and just as an attacker, you just go and create sharing links for everything that you want access to, even if. You know, so you could be a malicious insider, for example, that knows you're about to get fired for misconduct. And so your account is fully not going to exist anymore soon. You go and create sharing links. Yeah. Um, and those, those sharing links don't require an account usually. And it's not just things like OneDrive and Google Drive that have sharing links. Lots and lots of SaaS apps have similar ways of sharing access. And sometimes it's really not very obvious when someone's done it. So it's actually quite hard to even go and look to see 
what right shat. right it's not like there's a standard log or history of that in no. a lot of cases and you know this this brings up classic supply chain attack too because the odds are you're sharing your vitals with suppliers or you are the vendor and your customer has access to your vitals like yeah. It's a supply chain story all over again, even though it's a pure SaaS play. Yeah, and then and then even if something happens and you you find out about it, you don't necessarily know where it came from because it's been decoupled from an account. So you just know someone then went and accessed this or made this change, and you don't you don't necessarily have a very good lead to go on even to investigate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Luke, thank you so much for walking us through all this. This is a world uh, I knew I knew some frightening existed out there. I didn't know how bad it really was. <laughs> didn't know how sophisticated and robust the attacks were. It's got me reconsidering my entire SaaS landscape. Um, appreciate you coming out to the ranch. Uh, any any final any final thoughts? Uh, well, if you're interested in this, then the this SaaS attacks matrix is on GitHub. Um, so there's lots more information there. If you're a red teamer or a blue teamer that wants to start considering these attacks, uh, just go and check that out. And hopefully it's interesting, uh, and, and throw me questions if you've got them. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a great free resource. Well, Luke, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you listeners. Y'all be good now. Thank you very much. <laughs>